One thing that we just talked about in preparation was um, in a way like a question that we come with and it'll be interesting to maybe flesh it out throughout the conversation. But Mm -hmm. um, because in a sense, I think a lot of the stuff that we have been involved with, I don't know if like, especially me or both of us at the equal level or whatever. I mean, we're doing a lot of stuff together, but obviously not everything. And we have different approaches as well, but kind of falls quite a lot under the term of self-organization as well. And so that's like one of those questions that will be interesting to to think about. One of the questions is like, who do we define as the we that we start from when we organize? No, which is, I think, also to do with this question of uh, of caring or like seeing that we are in the same, like in an interdependent situation of social reproduction, in a sense. Um, so rather than me being an organizer who comes from, you know, some outside and like talks to you about your situation, which however is not actually my situation, like self-organization, it can, all, it can also very much involve talking to people and doing things that come close to, you know, consciousness raising and all these kind of ways of these approaches and, and sometimes also techniques that are to do with getting somebody to see their situation in a certain way or proposing certain w- ways forward for them, maybe a bit less in this kind of... Like not so much what you said before, like this thing about provoking specific kinds of anger and so on. Like it can get a, it can get a bit, that stuff can get a little bit behavioristic. I think when you really try and, you know, push your finger onto really specific emotions, you want somebody to have at like minute five of a conversation or whatever. So, I mean, I have, we haven't been engaged with like that specific kind of uh, an approach to like how you want to, <laughs> how you want to trigger stuff. But we have done definitely things that are to do with, you know, talking to people and getting them on board with initiatives and stuff like that. I find that in in a lot of discussions about labor organizing, there is a kind of opposition between labor organizing and the the kind of activist organizing of people who work together because they have some kind of elective affinity around ideology uh, or lifestyle, right? So this is a kind of classic... I would say 1990s oppositions between the real unions and and the activists out there who are just like a kind of counterculture or whatever else, right? I think one thing that we come out of, and Manu in a more practical way than than me, uh, is is the precarity struggles of the 2000s. And what happened there was, I think, um, an important shift away uh, from these kind of active, activist subcultures but also away from the labor labor uh, union uh, model to saying, like, we're not out there to organize a community like Linsky. We're not out there to organize the workers as trade unionists, as Magalivi, for instance, would say, but rather we are ourselves workers. And mm-hmm. just because we're knowledge workers, we're, we're precarious, right? So that related mm-hmm. to a different a moment of, of class composition in which some of the di- distinctions that were there in the past between professional organizers and, and, and the communities of workplaces they were organizing or distinctions between, between uh, activists who are usually like people of, of a mid, often of, of a middle-class background would spend a lot of time reading and then the working class that was out there, they, they kind of started falling apart in the sense that there was pre- precarization. You have a kind of, uh, you know, the possibility of, of reframing these issues and, and no longer starting from this kind of clear division of labor. Also because you're dealing with people who are in, in, in work situations that are more or less irregular and much harder to and less interesting for classical trade unions to organize. Hello and welcome to Spade Work, a podcast where organizers from all kinds of places and struggles talk about the hard lessons learned through their political work, what organizing means for them, what keeps on going wrong, and what great victories they had, and what made them. In today's episode, we invited militant researchers Manuela Tsekna and Bue Rudna Hansen to have a conversation about experiments and inquiries into the self-organization of women, migrants, and intellectual and cultural workers of the past decade in Europe. A wide-ranging conversation unfolds that introduces us to the feminist project Precarias a la Deriva that emerged in Madrid over a decade ago, and the drift technique that they established as a way to uncover the labors and possibilities that define everyday reproduction and their relation to power. This technique inspired current login techniques being used by women hackers and programmers where 20 to 30 people 
drift from home to home, eat together, and uncover the structures of domination, oppression, and exploitation that underpin everyday life. These techniques of co-research developed in Spain no doubt overlapped the feminist practices of consciousness raising developed in the 1970s and the practice of workers' inquiry developed in post-war Italy. Throughout this conversation, we talk about the changing composition of the working class and what this composition entails in terms of the organizational practices and strategies workers are developing themselves in response. In this episode, we dive into the permanently unfolding problem of working class articulation, what it means to bring together different fractions of workers. How do we workers, who are cut across, up and down by differences, relate to each other in resilient, rewarding, and effective ways? The question of political effect or power becomes central in our discussion as it becomes revealed to be something conjunctural situated, dependent on specific factors that are not always given, but contingent. A constant hypothesis that must be tested through the fulcrum of practice or political experimentation. Something that depends, once again, on innovation. Something that Manu points to across the unfolding wave of feminist and climate struggles the world over. In this way, we arrive at the necessity of abandoning the notion of centrality versus marginality in order to turn to an ecologically interdependent and entangled conception of working class self-organization that is fundamentally a project of inventing new modes and possibilities of care and interdependence without capitalist relations of exploitation. Manu is a researcher, facilitator, and situated organizer working across feminism, ecology, and migration-related struggles. Her research deals with collective care, micropolitics, processes of organization, and subjectivity formation in social movements. Currently working with BUE in a research project on translocal social movements across agroecology, climate, and feminist struggles. Bue is a researcher and theorist working on ideas and practices of social reproduction, class composition, and political ecology. He is an editor at Viewpoint magazine. Both have been involved politically in student, migrant, feminist, municipalist, and ecological struggles, as their lives and their search for work have taken them from Vienna to London to Barcelona and back to Vienna. To start today's talk, we ask Manu and Bue to contextualize the precarity struggles they highlighted just moments ago. So there's this kind of autonomous trajectory in a way, you know, that's a lot to do with like Italy also and the kind of struggles that were happening there, which goes back to this longer history of people like, you know, being pissed off with the unions and different kind of struggles in the factories and so on that don't necessarily go via the unions only. And then the precarity struggle, obviously, like the Euro Mayday and all these struggles, they also have a very strong base in Italy and in that kind of a, uh, thinking about work and workers as something that isn't just limited to specific kinds of uh, industrial workers and so on. Um, but then there's also the feminist trajectory to that uh, and way of thinking about that. And that's like, you know, in Spain, especially with groups like Precarias a la Deriva, but also like migrant domestic workers collectives and people like that, um, you have like women especially organizing around the labor that they do in the home whether it's as a as a paid kind of care worker uh, be it a cleaner or a, you know elderly care worker or something like that with all kinds of different contractual regimes or whether it's um it's the unpaid care work that we also do so there's this whole kind of feminist um, background to it that's that also pushes for different ways of thinking about work and how we might organize around work. And the key question there was, and there are a lot of really amazing texts, especially like Precarias a la Deriva have some really wonderful ones out there that are on transversal texts and translated into lots of different languages, but that are thinking about, so what does it mean to organize when neither does society really recognize you as a worker or recognize your work as being valuable, nor do you have any unions or bodies like that to go to that would have any interest in you. And when you have all kinds of circumstances of everyday life and social reproduction or everyday reproduction, let's say, to deal with, uh, like people that really depend on you, you know, kids, elderly people, um, very precarious living situations that also really condition the ways in which you can organize strongly in the sense that 
of the kind of times and spaces you might have available for organizing, how you can generate visibility or not. Um, so Precarias a la Deriva, for instance, like they were doing these drifts through each other's homes. And there's like in that kind of feminist crowd in Madrid, especially, they have really kept developing that format of drifting up to this day, actually. And it's this kind of feminist method where it consists as a large group, more or less, to go to people's homes. It's really interesting in the COVID context, actually, also. One should redo it in the COVID context. doesn't even take a feminist angle to do that with all this um, kind of home office stuff. But to go to somebody's home as a group and have that person basically like be the expert of their work and tell, and tell them, you know, what is it you do there? You know, from the kid you look after to, to all the different kinds of chores and, and how you make ends meet and so on. And to generate kind of solidarity and ideas through that at a collective level and kind of politicize that and say, what are our conditions? You know, what's not working here? Who can we make demands on and how can we support each other better? Mm. But there you already have it so entangled. You have work so entangled with your everyday reproduction and caring for each other and mutual support and like care in the sense of also listening and like emotional support but also lending a hand or maybe lending some money or you know stuff like that yeah so that's a little bit more like where i'm coming from or where we are also coming from mm. and people mm -hmm. talk about that often more as self-organization because it would usually kind of come from a place of of um like it would be initiated by people who are in the same situation and so you build a collective from there i want to also mention the broader kind of um set of methods For self-organization that um, the drift is a part of that the Manu was mentioning, namely the whole tradition of, of, of workers' inquiries and militant research as a way of, of saying, um, and with workers' inquiries, you have people who came in as more in the classical labor organizing way, but with militant research, you have a shift uh, or co-research, which, uh, which uh, some people would call it. You have a shift towards a situation in which you say, Look, we, we can no longer uh, rely on the, on the schemas of class that were passed down from previous generations, from the Fordist period especially. You, there's a profound transformation of class composition, both technical composition, so how uh, the class is organized in, in, in workplaces and neighborhoods and so on, but also, um, also the, the political composition of class is, of course, transformed also. So we need to understand where we are. And in order to do that, we have to, to research how do we reproduce mm. ourselves? Uh, and that cannot be limit, limited to wage work because we know there are other components in how we, how we survive. Obviously, feminism is, is, is what has really put a spotlight on that. Uh, but you can also take something like the black radical tradition, like the Panthers talking about, talking about the lumpen proletariat and pe how people survive in irregular or legal ways or more contemporary black organizing like migrant street workers in Barcelona, for instance, like this question of informal work, uh, illegalized work and so on. So there's, there's a kind of uh, e explosion of the notion of, of class, which is no longer centered on, on wage labor, even though that is, of course, really important still. But uh, in order to, to understand what class is, uh, is and is becoming, and in a sense has been, If we look beyond the kind of hegemonic not, uh, model of, 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 of the industrial wage work as the norm, it's always been more than that. Uh, we, we get to the question of trying to understand class composition as an ongoing process that connects workplaces, communities, families, uh, institutions. And in order to research that, we have to, to talk to people and we have to talk to one another and we have to situate ourselves in, in relation to that. So you can say, It's a kind of knowledge production about class, which isn't, look, here we have a sociological schema, boom, we now will fit you as a worker into our schema, but rather we work it up, up through researching the ways in which we reproduce ourselves in a situated, uh, embodied way and in a collective way as well. So through that, there's a production of, of, like, uh, of common notions, you could say, um, common knowledges about, about our situation, which creates a map of potential um, like common problems that we might want to solve together. And this can be the starting point of, of, of you know, developing common tactics and strategies and forms of organization. If you want um, a nice example that maybe is relevant um, also in relation to this tech worker organizing that's going on in, in Berlin and around Berlin, 
is that um, just following up also still on this kind of Madrid trajectory of kind of feminist militant research and organizing, there's a lot of kind of women um, programmers and hackers that have been like part of these feminist circuits. And um, I've had the kind of pleasure and honor to accompany a, a project of some of them a couple of years ago. So it is tech workers, it's women tech workers, like feminized tech workers. And the project they did is called uh, Login. And the, it's this idea, again, of going to somebody's home or a bunch of people's homes as a group and understanding their very situation of work and life. And you would cover maybe like two, three homes in a session sometimes. So that also involves driving, drifting through the neighborhood and walking through the neighborhood and thinking about the neighborhood. Um, and they, how, 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 how did people get into people's house? So... Um, like. The, they would, um, what they do is like, they have a kind of base group that comes up with a project. And, um, and then I think through mostly informal networks and workplaces, they kind of get in touch with other women who have similar situations and invite them to join. And then what they call a login is like, the idea is like you log into a house. It's like really this kind of tech language applied onto the, the, the kind of domestic reproductive thing, which is quite nice. So then anybody can join these sessions. I mean, I think they have some limits, <laughs> limits for numbers or whatever, but basically you're a relatively large group of maybe 20, 30 people drifting from home to home, um, having people tell you about their situation. You have a discussion. Usually in that home, you will also have tea, cookies. I don't know. You'll have some nice situation of sitting around food, you know, making sure everybody's comfortable. So it's quite intimate also. So you learn things that people, you know, that you wouldn't get out of people in this kind of more formal interview situation also, you know, about their concerns and about, you know, you'll, you see all kinds of things in the home also, um, that, that, that you that give you a, quite a strong nuance of the forms of interdependency and, and situation that a person has. So that's a quite nice kind of technique that that's like feminist, but anybody could do that really, right? Um, yeah, I think it's really interesting because there's uh, obviously there are debates everywhere, right, about what is the working class and how best to connect to the working class. Mm -hmm. And this obviously took a new kind of tone here in Germany because. Um, the Zara Wagenknecht, uh, President Dimitra recently had um, a book release. She wrote a book about her problems with contemporary left culture and how it's alienating to the working class um, with all these urbanite, uh, latte macchiato drinking leftists mm. um, and how they cannot uh, connect to the working class. But I think it's... I think that you all already touched up on that question of the, the temporalities, right? Um, one, to acknowledge that the industrial working class was never the only working class, hmm. that there was a whole bunch of other labors aside from that. And then two, you have whole new, like this whole multiplication of labor. You have all these different kinds of labors, even now, where you have refugees, you have intellectual workers, you have cultural hmm. workers, you have you have and you are you are workers you are yeah 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 <laughs> yeah i know but i mean like literally today when i was having a conversation um because i recently joined like i said uh Bonn, and there's this whole new like foreigner section that opened up around the english language right yeah. and it's really crazy because you have like like we have in our ranks like au pairs from brazil um we have architects that are now um uh, graphic designers from Costa Rica. Mm. We have, um, what's it called, like copy editors from Canada. And you constantly question about whether the group is legitimate or not, or whether it's working class or not. But it's like, one, yes, we're all here doing work. Uh, and two, this idea, this, this like hipster label gets thrown at it mm. just because it appears a certain way. Mm. But... Um, it's, it's unable to actually kind of acknowledge the fact that this is just a different section of the working class. Yeah. Mm. And the, the, the problem is, how do you articulate mm. different sections of the working class that have become mm. and made different, you know? Mm. Yeah. And that's the, that's the challenge of politics. It doesn't, yeah. It's not de facto. Yeah. It, to, to tell one side to just shut up and stop complaining about, mm -hmm. um, about sexism mm. just misses the point of the problem of articulation absolutely and connectivity i think this way of posing the, the question like how do we relate to the working class is a dead giveaway 
that people don't see themselves as a part of the working class. It's a dead giveaway. It might be because like, you know, you're a part of a, of, of a kind of political elite like Saar Wagenknecht. Or it might simply be because you feel that you're elevated because you've read some Marxism, which is a different kind of version of the same problem. But it's not how do we relate to the working class? No, how do we relate to other worker, workers? And work by workers, we mean much more than what are people's professions, uh, their wage work, but also like other, you know, the unemployed people in, in, in unwage work and people and, and people who do both wage work and unwage work and etc. Like how do we relate to others in a meaningful way? And because we're already related also. Like uh how you know as, as all workers are related to the working class because you know those are their friends and family members and colleagues, etc. So but how do you how do you create Uh, how do you change the meaning of those relations? How do you create different kinds of links? Those kinds of questions are really interesting. You know, how do you, how do you make a shift from people trying to solve the various issues they might face on a individual level, purely or a family-based level? How do you make proposals for how to solve issues in a more powerful way by being more people together around doing it, right? And, 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 and that's a super concrete question. It's not a question of political discourse, like, you know, have, uh, signaling the right fucking values or consumption patterns, all that bullshit. No, <laughs> it's about having really concrete proposals for like tactics, common demands, or like even before that ways of meeting each other, getting to know each other a bit better and building trust. And I mean, one possible way of thinking about it is then like, asking about who you're bound up with in terms of your own reproduction, social reproduction, the reproduction of your life somehow. And that, that will point you on the one hand, you know, to all those forms of labor that are, you know, invisibilized, unpaid care work, like, and so on, including also, you know, different kinds of emotional support you might be getting from places you're not valorizing at all, including, you know, your mother or your aunt or whatever, <laughs> unlikely places. But, um, But also, it's also going to point you to places where, of course, where I think it's true that there is really a big disconnect and it is important to recognize that. So nobody would say that there isn't a problem. Like, for instance, the ways in which our social reproduction is bound up with, you know, agricultural labor or like mining, you know, like all those kind of really extractivist material, I don't know, you know, also completely invisibilized, informalized, like precarious um sectors uh of of the economy many of them overseas you know like bound up with really fucked up colonial dynamics and land grabs and and whatnot violence and so on ecological destruction right? ecological destruction etc so it's like that question is super pertinent because there you see that there is a massive connection in terms of how our lives are reproduced with some people with whom we have you know, really no way of relating. There is a strong disconnect and we also maybe don't quite understand what conditions they are facing or how, how we might actually build alliances that are meaningful beyond mm. us going to convince them or, you know, them just putting, putting demands forward to us or whatever, but like to actually build a relation there. And I think only when you start to build relations, like for instance, between this kind of urbanite, um, urbanite working class, if you like, and this more kind of rural working class, can you also start to ask questions about what alternative modes of social reproduction might we actually need to invent together, <laughs> you know, from cooperatives and stuff like that to, I don't know, yeah, mutual, um, aid. mutual aid and so on, so that we can get out of the, the, the situation that we depend on some, you know, shitty capitalist intermediaries for us to have the vegetables on the table and so on. Um, and I think there's lots of really interesting organizing going on also in those sectors. I mean, this is what we're starting to research more now. But from what I'm hearing from Spain, you know, the kind of jornaleras that are working in the strawberry fields, like living in these like shitty huts brought in from Morocco for like three months at a time during this the harvest season and so on, that have like had absolutely horrendous conditions during COVID where they weren't able to travel, but they weren't even like given like water or they've had their um, shelter burnt down presumably often by some racists also and like been basically homeless and shit like that i mean crazy conditions not even like within well within the eu's 
borders and so on. Um, and they are doing an amazing feminist self-organizing in a lot of these kind of areas. And they're linking up a lot with feminists. Again, like I, I know a lot more about feminist struggles than about any other struggles. But there's an amazing like feminist alliance being built through like urban feminist movements in Madrid and so on, you know, including, you know, for rights to abortion, reproductive justice, all kinds of stuff. And uh, housing struggles um, from a feminist perspective and uh, and these kind of struggles uh, of agricultural workers and so on. Like in, in Madrid and, and uh, like five other cities globally, they're setting up this network called um, La Laboratoria, which is like, again, a kind of research network on forms of struggle mm. around living life and labor in a way where they're building these bridges. So that's super important, right? Building, like nobody says that we should only be like content ourselves with, with this urban perspective. Like I think there is something <clears throat> there, but the terms in which it's often being put are, are not very helpful. Yeah, obviously it's um, the, the, the problem of organization isn't like a one-way thing, right? It's, um, it has to connect along multiple axes, different geographies and whatnot. But I think that one of the interesting things that you guys are talking about is also the, the necessity of invention, right? Mm. Like invention of uh, organization and invention of power as well. Because um, mm. like if we think about the kind of traditional worker, it's quite clear at what point in that process the worker has power, like at the, at the factory, right? But where do we have power, like in the... Uh, uh, intellectual factory or like in um, at the university at what point do we have power to withdraw our labor or um, in the city and that's a question of invention that isn't easy right it's mm. not given in the same way that that kind of insight wasn't given um, yeah. that like if I don't do that I have power that kind of refusal of labor wasn't a given known right but rather mm. a process of experimentation that became clear okay if I do that um, I'm in a power position now. If I yeah. refuse my labor, I'm in a power position. So the question is, um, how in this process of research that we're in now, because of the, the massive amount of flux, what are the kind of trajectories of power that are available to us mm -hmm. that you think are really um, interesting, I guess, or that you've seen that provide some kind of hope? Because this is the question for me is, where do I have power, right? I think, I think we have to take one step back because, um, like, I want to resist the temptation to point out the key form of power or the uh, key key sector in the economy or the key workforce or whatever. Absolutely. This kind of this is a strategic uh, kind of thinking of a political party who's trying to focus his resources and and so on, right? But if we talk about self-organization, which is the condition, like you can't have a political party if there isn't social organization within the working class or the proletariat. It, that's a condition. So this is where we have to start. We don't have that yet. So talking about this party that can make those decisions is a fantasy in most countries, especially in, in, in the global north right now. So um, so we have to take one step back and say, like, where we have power depends on where we are, right? We, we have to... We can't answer the question in, in the abstract. It depends... It depends on who, you know, where do, where do we work? Where do we live? Who are we connected to, right? And then from there, we have to, 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 to accept that there are no certainties, right? Because we're not in a phase where we just continue with the forms of struggle of the past because they're not easily uh, available to us at all, right? We, we, we are in a phase of experimentation. And before you make an experiment, you have a hypothesis, right? And it doesn't mean that we should abandon the certainties of the past, for instance. Strikes work. Of course they do. Uh, but we have to treat the strike also as a hypothesis. We have to, to instead of presuming because it was the key tactic in the past, that it is today. Because, yes, hypothetically, the workers have a lot of power in the factory. But if the workers are relatively satisfied because they have access to all sorts of cheap consumption goods from China and from, you know, agricultural producers in the global south. And if they have a union that's really hostile to uh, industrial action, plus you have legislation that's also hostile to industrial legislation, the, the strike is not a weapon that's yeah. easily available, right? And then actually the power, the power of the working class, even though hypothetically it's greater in a mass strike, it might actually be greater in a riot, <laughs> 
you know, mm-hmm. in that particular situation, in that particular mm-hmm. situation, right? And we might want to change that, but change it. We, we don't change that by um, by just affirming that the strike, the hypothesis. We need to experiment, right? Uh, and 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 yeah. So this is a different and experimentation, from my point of view, uh, depends on innovation in the sense that you have a problem, you have to accept when you treat a problem with the hypothesis, you accept you don't know the solution, you know. So so you and you look at a problem, and 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 any problem is generative of a number of possible solutions. Only some of them will work out, and you have to to choose which ones to, to test out. That's the experiment. And yet you have the strike and yet you have an enormous amount of innovation around the form of the strike right now, actually. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, when you think about social strikes, you think about, you know, feminist strikes, you think about school strikes, you think about, I don't know, there's like mm. all kinds of ways in which people are withdrawing their kind of labor or attention even as a way of, of having some power, actually. Mm. That's really promising and really quite new mm. and that renders all kinds of undervalued labor visible and kind of really makes some pretty radical demands of of how we might want that to be revalued and by the way not necessarily inserted into a wage regime actually um like you know mm. then you get to all the debates around around guaranteed incomes and stuff like that or or care incomes and other forms of, of valorizing labor but like that's really interesting and And there you see that the way that power is being built doesn't happen through an organization as such, like a formal entity like that, but it happens a lot through assemblies. It happens a lot through kind of localized instances. I mean, schools are an example of that, you know, or, or neighborhoods, stuff like that. So places that are, that have a, that where there's a strong kind of coefficient of everyday co-inhabitation somehow. Um, but then they link up in ways that are sometimes like super global and like quite scattered, you know, where you might have some cities being really strong in some countries, but not the entire country being swept by a wave and so on. And that's also interesting in this kind of globalized situation that we're in, because mm. that's a similar way in which corporations and all kinds of powers that exist actually inhabit the globe. So so it's an interesting it's an interesting transnational, translocal form of struggle. Yeah. That comes through this kind of like, I don't know, people in Spain, they talk a lot about new forms of social syndicalism, you know, mm-hmm. so, so you well, don't, what does that mean? Um, I mean, that means like, obviously it points you back to the role that unions have had or could have in some sort of way, but it means to syndicate in the sense that you would uh, build alliances and that you, that you kind of fight for shared interests and stuff like that. But um But I think, um, I mean, you'd have to discuss specific instances, but it's basically not through a, f- a greater formalized entity, you know, but through different dispositives of common struggle and, uh, you know, maybe common dates of, of strikes or actions, common, so like common tactics, things like that, and common processes of learning and exchange. I mean, this is like crazy right now, the amount of online, this was actually, I think, kind of positively encouraged by the pandemic in some sense now, now that like the level of global networking across struggles and like yeah. the, the amount of like zoom calls or, or other kind of video calls between struggles in different places is quite amazing and that comes out of that learning process i think of like the feminist strike which has been massive in you know latin america the spanish-speaking world the latin latin european world if you like but all across the globe as well or things like the school strikes and stuff Mm. So that is building building organization, but um, I it's think, not perfect, obviously. But no, it's no. it's a really interesting experimentation. I think it, it it points to the to the importance of of broadening the perspective from from just production to reproduction. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 to say there is power to be built, not just in production but also in reproduction, and sometimes they can be combined. So like. You know, in 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 labor union, you know, say it's like social movement. Social movement unionism is an example of trying to to connect some level of community organizing with with workplace organizing. But it can also be like communities doing things that workers can't do. For instance, if workers are banned from striking, people from the community can still block the entry of of, of the workplace. For instance, in solidarity, uh, and and you know, there's a whole range of thing things that can be done. And I think. The important thing, when you get away from the notion of centrality, 
you also get away from the notion of marginality, right? Because in the classical discourse, there's this idea that, well, industrial workers are central. Yes, okay, a lot would have said that also historically. Yes, women and migrants and and uh, lump proletarians or whatever, they're okay, they're, yes, sure, they're part of the class, but their, their struggles are marginal, right? Uh, if we get away from the notion of centrality, we also have to think about what is the um, structural role of, the, of what has been called the margins, right? So, for instance, which means it's what is the structural importance of those kinds of struggles? The importance is that when when people are very like when women are very repressed, or when migrants are uh, really marginalized, this in, in in relation to labor market or civic civic rights or whatever else, what you have is a lot of scope for uh, for division within the working class because you have a, you have a very uh, very strong mechanisms of discipline and of scapego- scapegoating and of internal competition within the workforce between different groups that are racialized differently and so on. It's corrosive to solidarity as we know. So even if it's true that some of these groups migrant street workers, for instance, don't have a lot of uh, structural power in the sense that they can shut down workplaces and they'll be arrested very fast if they try to shut down streets, also because they might not be that many. The fact that they are uh, subjected to racism is a structural problem for class solidarity more broadly within the country. I think um, this was a problem that, say, constantly resurfaced in my participation in Solidarity City Berlin, where there was often the question of why other other people not affected by racism are involved in mm. other people's problems with racism. But it's like, people were saying this in a context <laughs> in which I did. Like, yeah. fascists were mobilizing and gaining political power because of racism. Like, that was everybody's problem. Yeah. Like, the problem that it was being... Like, obviously, it, it affects groups in different ways mm. but it's a it's a it's a, a problem of interdependence right like yeah uh my, my world is entirely tied up in the power regimes that you are affected by because it comes back mm. in, in different forms right um and so um totally i remember i remember about 10 years ago sorry to interrupt you but about 10, almost 10 years ago we were part of the uh, refugee uh, protest camp in vienna and from the side of many of the local, so white Austrian activists, there was this idea that there are the uh, the refugees, who in legal terms are mostly asylum seekers, and uh, and the hel- the helpers, no supporters, or supporters. Sorry, the supporters, right? Uh, so you have you have the victims, and you have the people who are just there to help, and and the word solidarity was not used uh, for the most part. Uh, and that, and there was a lot of questioning of whether the people who are just supporters had the right to speak in meetings, even if they had a lot of exper- experience about how to deal with the Austrian media, they knew how things would be spun. They were holding back, but also they were acting as if they were they were they didn't have any self interest in fighting for a less racist country, which is which is completely perverse and bizarre. Like it's, it, it it became a logic of charity. Uh, so, um, anyways, the, just adding Absolutely. to your point, but 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 you're saying something. I interrupted you. No, 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 no. Um, yeah, one of the, one of the things um, again in, in talking with you with you all as like fellow workers and uh, organizers, <laughs> uh, fellow self organizers, and reading your uh, your work. One of the things that I that I that I like so much about it is the. The kind of push to to invention that's there, and uh, this non-centeredness, right? To to think about the question of organization ecologically, and to kind of root that not in a process of production, but root that in kind of like our actual needs of social reproduction. Mm. Mm. Like to think about organization from the perspective of social reproduction. And what do we actually need in order to live the lives that we want and need? Mm. Also in a crisis where our social reproduction has to pass through capitalism, like through capitalist uh, productive values that are threatening our very social reproduction because of the ecological crisis. And so it's gotten me, like in my daily practice, this question of care. Like if 
if this is actually about a different way of social reproduction, that we could align that back with the reproduction of the ecosphere and put these two back in a balance. Mm. Mm. What is the kind of systems of care and what are the kind of practices of care that we actually want to find this new reality, this new uh, possibility of social reproduction? And that's also not only an organizational question at the kind of meta societal level, how do we want to reorganize society, mm. but the question of political organization is also then centered on care, right? Like how do we develop new possibilities of care through our combination? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's also useful to go to some, um, like there's this uh, feminist framework from political theory from uh, Joan Tronto. It's like quite old from the 90s, but where she talks about different phases of care that I find really useful to think about how we care. Um, uh, she talks about four or five phases of care. Uh, this is from a book called uh, Moral Boundaries, a Political Argument for an Ethics of Care from like 93. And um, the idea is that um, there are four phases of care. One of them is caring about, which is worrying and worry or concern. So a kind of more mental level of care. A second level is taking care of. So that's more like taking some action in relation to something. And by the way, the first level, so caring about, involves perceiving a need, recognizing a need or a problem. Um, taking care of is like then the, the first action or step you might take to address that. Uh, it can also be a, a minor gesture, but you do something, you try and do something. And then the third level, very crucially, is caregiving. So that's when you, uh, so that's the labor of care, care work. Um, that's like the continuous, often very much to do with bodies, kind of um, physical And kind of embodied labor of looking after after another living being, you know. And I think there you could really also think about, you know, care for the land or, you know, things like that. That's also care work that's kind of continuous and, and very kind of embodied and stuff like that. So it doesn't have to be only interhuman. You can also think it in relation to animals and stuff like that. Then the fourth level of care is care receiving, where she says it's really crucial to understand that we all have needs and we all are equally, we're all also care receivers, It's a kind of stupid myth of kind of patriarchal capitalism and this kind of ableism that there are some people who have special needs and and everybody else supposedly doesn't have needs. Um, and recognizing that is a key to like stop stigmatizing people um, you who have different kinds of bodies or different kinds of situations and to recognize that we're all interdependent. And then there's a fifth level of care that she came up with in a later text where she wrote more about care and democracy which she calls caring with. So that's like um, solidarity in her terms, more or less. So there are these like four or five levels of care. And um, and I think what we often know to do quite well in relation to all kinds of global issues, like in the global north, is, um, is care about. So get sick with worry and like distributing, you know, likes and comments on social media platforms and kind of get ourselves deeply engrossed with like all kinds of issues with very little... Um, momentum or very little possibility sometimes of moving towards any kind of taking care of, so taking some kind of action. Sometimes we manage that though. Uh, so we go to a protest or we sign a petition, stuff like that. You know, we take some, some more or less sporadic action. Maybe we even get organized in a group, but then it's like, but caregiving and care receiving are the two levels that are always systematically kind of erased from, or, or that we're kind of denied or cut off from, I think when it comes to how we relate to our reproduction. So it's like, what forms what forms might we invent of actually caregiving as a continual labor that links us with others and with the world, you know, and with the, 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 the biological kind of uh, material, ecological world, like the, with the world with all its species and biospheres and whatever the kind of great global commons of the air and the earth and the winds and the, <laughs> and the soil and all this. Um, so that we can also understand ourselves as constantly receiving care from that. Um, so that's like where we need to build power, I think, which then also goes like caring with then kind of comes with that because that's such a global feat or that's like such a feat in the, in the stage of global capital, the, the capitalism that we're at. That is such a matter of reaching out so far beyond because our reproduction happens so far away from where we're actually sitting that in, it inevitably applies a, implies a lot of uh, new modes of solidarities that we need to invent. 
So I think that's a nice way of thinking about care somehow as not just that moment of, you know, supposedly benevolent um, concern or as something that, you know, uh, that is all good also, but as something that involves different forms, uh, different kind of uh, phases and levels. And also, and also that's like the other side of the coin is that the care can imply power and a lot of fucked up relations too, right? I mean, there is like, you know, care can be extremely patronizing. For instance, if you, if you take, if you, uh, if you're a caregiver who doesn't recognize the needs of the person you're taking care of, then you can actually do a lot of damage to them and you can be extremely patronizing. So if you don't like see yourself as being interdependent and vulnerable, then your care can be really fucked up. And there's a lot of ways in which that happens, you know, in which different phases or forms of care are more visible than others. And mm -hmm. usually taking care of is more valued. It's like, you know, Uh, it's more associated with masculine norms um, rather than caregiving, which isn't, and so on. So anyways, there's like a lot of stuff that we can learn from feminism there. I wanted to say also that, uh, of, of course, there are questions of who cares um, in the sense that, and, and who cares how, like Manu is mentioning that, that uh, there are certain forms of, of care that that is gendered and so on. Um, and that there are certain forms of uh, individualism in which you're afforded not to care about a lot of things, right? Uh, because because you just buy everything as a service, for instance. Um, there's also the question of, of, of uh, how we transform the ways we already care in the sense that most people already care, right? We, we all have different capacities of caring for ourselves, but hope we do it to some extent, otherwise we would be dead uh, or outside of all social relations. We, you know, we care for our friends, our family members or other relationships. We we also care for our, you know, in, in relation to work for our colleagues and whatever. There's a whole kind of set of things. You also care about your appearance, which is a very different kind of thinking about care, right? But, but um, how do you, the question is like, A lot of this is, this can be quite myopic, right? Oh. Uh, you just it's just like very normative. You care for your family, you care for yourself. That's the end of the story. Or you care for your for your colleagues in a workplace that's destroying the world, or whatever it is doing, right? <laughs> so, so from you mean care in the sense of caring about, no? Yeah, yeah, but but also you know also um, you you also take care. Uh, you you care for people in your family. You might give support. Yeah, yeah you mm -hmm. give different kinds of support. You might be a caregiver to your child, mm. right? I'm not saying it's bad. Mm. I'm just saying it's uh, it. What you what you're doing is that you might just be healing some of the wounds that are caused by a world that is mm. completely you know fucked up, right? So the question yeah. is, how do you how do you start to con connect care to different kinds and other kinds of relations, more relations also. And I think uh, this is to get to your question about ecology uh, is really interesting because one definition of ecology is networks of interdependence. This is from Fridtjof Kapra. He's a kind of sy systems uh, theoretician and, 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 and biologist. And uh, in systems theory, every everything can be a system. You, you can think about a system as uh, social or as natural or as both. You know, it just depends on the kind of um, scale that you want to, to analyze and what kinds of relations that you want to pick out as, as, as relevant, right? Um, and so if you think about networks of interdependence, human and non-human, it means also uh, understanding that we're dependent on things that that we might not even notice are there. So thinking ecologically, like developing ecological noticing of forms of dependence means that we uh, we don't just care, like we notice things that we can care about and that this is just care about, not in the form of empathy or sympathy with the victims of an earthquake in Mexico, but, uh, or wherever, but, but, Also with the with the moment of self interest because you know that your fate is intertwined oh, with the yeah, fate with the with the fate of people in other places because we live in a, in an ecology ultimately a planetary ecology that is composed in its habitability and survivability of networks of interdependence 
it, you know, there's a lot, a lot of other things happening, which is like death and violence and all those things that point away from habitability and survivability and so on. Right. But, it, but, but, but if we want to pick out those moments that help us survive and the people that we always already tend to care about in our near social circles, we need to kind of be able to see suffering in the world as relevant to us and not just to our emotions of empathy or sympathy. Mm. Right. I mean, I think this is where like these perspectives, they also create a strong kind of affective and relational kind of ambience within, you know, struggles and social movements. And I think this is why when you look at like, let's say the Spanish speaking world, you have a lot less of this. Like if I think of Spain, for instance, which I know best, but also Latin America, where these where these feminist movements have been really strong and where these kind of uh, ways of thinking about care have been quite like they've been around for a lot of years. And like these notions of interdependence um, have really made it like to a lot of through a lot of struggles. And there is a general kind of conscience of that. So the approach to other people who other struggles or other people you you might come across who might want to join you in your, your struggle is not at all suspicion or that they need to prove something to you you know but it's a gladness that somebody somebody that you are you depend you interdepend with in one way or another somehow joins you like um i don't know it's like internationalism might have functioned like that at some at some point on a kind of world scale but it's this notion that you know what happens in that like what happens in in that indigenous struggle in the amazon it actually matters for me and um And you don't even need to have like the clearest diagram in your head of how exactly it connects you because you just somehow know it. And it like, it's also quite intuitive to kind of understand that. But on some parts of the left, that really takes a lot of undoing of kind of guilt also, I think, essentially, you know? Yeah. Um, no, totally. I mean, this yeah. is the same thing. Like um, when I work also, like say with the, with the tech workers, I'm often worried if there's some feeling of... Uh, of suspicion, like, why why are you here? But for me, it's, like, very clear that they have a power, like, as people that code my digital life world every mm -hmm. fucking day, mm -hmm. that I'm entirely dependent on them, and it's absolutely in my interest if they develop an autonomous power relation at the workplace and can leverage at mm -hmm. some point my demands mm -hmm. at the point that they are in that process. Um, but rather than think of them one as like as some kind of non-labor sector like oh they're not real mm. workers mm. Um, and two to acknowledge that this very easy inter uh, interdependence mm. like mm. I know that I'm dependent on you as, mm. uh, as a coder you know mm. like that's super clear but um, yeah also can I say that, like there are uh there's a question of noticing existing interdependencies and there's a question of, of building its interdependencies. Uh, and sometimes one flows into the other in a sense that we might notice a very mediated interdependence, like you with the tech workers, for instance, or uh, all of us, or all of us with the tech workers, for that matter, all of us with, with, <laughs> with uh, indigenous people in the Amazon who ultimately defending the continuation of a rainforest upon which the global climate depends, right? There's a lot of mediations there, but it's very, it's very real at the same time. Um, but the inter interdependence might not play any, any, any um, palpable difference in our everyday life, mm -hmm. right? But by noticing this mediated interdependence that doesn't have any palpable effect, you get the chance of, of, of transforming that mediated one to a direct one or a less mediated one. Um, so that you, so that you, you know, in the, in the most banal example is, uh, is that the, that the tech workers will help you in some of your other political work, help you choose what, Uh, whether you should choose uh, WordPress or, Press or another platform to start your, your blog or whatever else it might be, right? And, mm -hmm. and the important thing to say there is we, within a, an, an individualist uh, like culture, the kind of um, possess, the, the, we have this ontology of possessive individualism and dependence is seen as a vulnerability, right? But it's a strength. It's a strength if it's 
a dependency that's based on care and solidarity. Dependence on is only a vulnerability if we limit our imaginary social relations to the market and to the wage. Of course, it's, I'm vulnerable because I'm dependent on my employer, right? Yeah. And also, uh, also like entrepreneurs should get because they're dependent on the market. They don't like yeah. that dependence. Sure, but there are other forms of dependence that are a strength. And if you develop an interdependence with the tech workers, you're stronger together. I'm kind of obsessed with this idea. Um, it comes from a book by some Belgium, Belgian activists from 2008 about building what they call cultures of precedence. It's like that's how they say it in, in French. But basically, they talk about the need to kind of really relay knowledge uh, and kind of accounts of collective process from different struggles, um, you know, over time and over generations, so that we don't have to kind of keep reinventing the wheel each time. And that we also recognize certain stuff, you know, has happened in different shapes and, and places before. Um, and we can kind of remember that. So it's like, there's the one thing about sharing tools which i think you're also very interested in right and then there's the other mm -hmm. thing about like sharing knowledge about collective process which is also really crucial so that mm -hmm. we kind of understand the way that we think relations you know because not just about the tools like um you can every every tool is a weapon if you hold it right so you can also hold the tool the wrong way around <laughs> you never think about the actual relations that are behind it or what kind of collective process you're building with the tool mm. um so it's Absolutely. not just it's not just technical knowledge we need Hmm. And that's a lot about ecology too. I mean, actually, ironically, that book from 2008, they, it's the subtitle is for an ecology of collective practices. And I really like that because um, it's a way of thinking continuities and affinities between movements um, based on a, like with a, with a baseline affect or, or feeling uh, or sentiment or whatever is like one of trust and wanting to learn and wanting to share and wanting to give. Uh, and really not one of, you know, guilt or having to prove anything to somebody else or suspicion or um, competition or competition or whatever. Um, and I think that's like something that especially in the, I don't know, I think in the kind of northern left, northern European left or whatever, maybe, maybe particularly in the German speaking one, I don't know, but um, those cultures, they really need to be built more. I guess they are. Mm -hmm. They are being built anyways, like it happens by itself. But it's a slow process. And I think one of the things, just coming back briefly to what you said before, but like one of those things that we have to learn and build intelligence and like really have debates about is how we think the relation between autonomy and interdependence. And like, we're just not that, we're not that smart about that yet, frankly, you know, like we can learn a lot from feminism and so on. You know, nobody wants to, wants to kind of ditch all the knowledges and lessons and kind of political sentiments and intelligences that were developed through autonomous movements. Like the point is not now to affirm we're only interdependent and we're never gonna, you know, go and affirm our autonomy. Actually, we really want to affirm our autonomy still, you know, from the state from the market um there's a lot of power that lies in refusing to care sometimes too and saying you know mm -hmm. no you know this is where we draw the limit to our we or whatever so it's not mm -hmm. that that moment becomes completely like that we leave that moment behind but it's like developing some thinking about you know when it is you activate one or the other or try and think in terms of one or the other in terms of interdependence or autonomy and seeing that these two things kind of always coexist somehow I don't know if I'm sounding very abstract, but it's like there's a kind of uh, there's an interplay between these two. Uh, and yet often we think of them in sort of absolute terms. And that's pretty stupid. Like that's not very helpful. If I may just like um, mention or advertise the care network mapping that, that I've been working on for a long time. It's like when you think about when you think about different forms of interdependence that you have with people and organizations and so on. Uh, you know, from relations that are more like mutual support, emotional support, to sharing resources, money, sharing spaces, to also different forms of like friendship, love, spiritual nourishment, whatever. If you think about all these ways in which you're kind of linked and care for others, then you can think about that in relation to specific people. You can think about that in relation to specific groups. But crucially, and that's where this kind of question of the ecology of collective practices also come in, you can think of that as forms of relation that exist between groups or initiatives or campaigns or whatever, you know, on what you might call the left. So like, you know, what, like similar to what Bua said, you know, what forms of mutual support 
and and um, and care. Would you like, if you like, um, exist be between different initiatives on the left? Like how strong how strong the left actually is is very much a matter of um, whether it can sustain uh, whether the people can sustain each other. And that's what mm -hmm. makes it sustain itself as a kind of a political and social force somehow. Mm. And that's also really built through trust and so on. So it's like, you know, a shitty effective climate is a massive problem for that because uh, when there's a lot of distrust, you get competition and all kinds of stupid dynamics happen uh, that make everybody incredibly weak. Mm -hmm.